0: Log Talk Radio <laughs>
1: Talk Radio Program. I'm Susan Laris, and dan and I am so happy to welcome you back here today. And we may have a slight change of plans here today, um, and there's a certain irony to the way this is unfolding today. It's been an interesting week on the show, a good experience of having multiple shows all in a row. Um, we do not yet have our guest on the line. And I'm not sure if we will get connected or not today, but what's really very interesting is I'm noticing that the show is set for a shorter live segment than usual. If our guest does come in, we will certainly put the show in the podcast. And actually, I want to invite anyone listening, because we can talk live for a very long time, even off the internet. Um, Should our guest call in, and she hasn't yet, um, the teleconference line for the show is 310-807-5104. And I'm not quite sure what's going on with the time frame for the show today that's live, but you can always listen to the teleconference even after it's off the Internet. So it seems that for now, we will just spend some time together chatting about, I suppose, what's going on in the world right now. Um, I feel that, and you know, today we were going to have a very serious discussion about some challenging health issues that any family can face, Um, and I. Do you have a feeling that we may not get our guest today, Megan Carnarius, but I do want to let you know that I will get her on soon if we do not connect today. And um she is quite an expert on Alzheimer's and other dementias. And when we are faced with any health issue in this world, and I will tell you that, you know, those who listen to this show know that in the past year, I had to deal with a loved one who had a a serious health issue. And the best way that we can proceed through any challenge, whether we are experiencing it firsthand or in many ways we experience everything, even more so for a loved one, is to trust. It has everything to do with trust. And that is what the spiritual path is gives us. It does not mean that we will navigate every moment perfectly. We are human beings and we are here to experience what it's like to be human. That's why we came to this planet and so what we need to be in touch with most of all is our authentic experience. And then more and more as we walk the spiritual path, I don't know how many of you heard the show last night with Dean Slater about natural meditation, but I will tell you that he had such a powerful message to share that his techniques are assisting me immediately already in the simplest of ways, even right now. And I think that we will find that meditation is something we've been doing all along in some ways, which is is part of the message that he brings to us. If you're walking out in nature, as I like to do, that can have exactly the same byproducts as a conscious meditative practice. And so I really encourage you to listen to that show in the podcast, and I find it so fascinating here that this particular show um, is only going to go for another 10 minutes um, because it's as if the universe knew, as the universe knows all things on all timelines, that the guest, for some reason wasn't going to be here today, and actually it's probably going to work out better to have her come another day when we have more time with her live. So um, that is an example. Okay, we've got a call on the line, and this could be Megan. So I'm going to check and see, and if it is, I'll 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 talk to her about the, um, the show time, and we'll make sure we get people on the teleconference. Hello, is this Megan Carnarius? You're live. Yes, it is. hi. Hi, Thank Megan. Hi. <laughs> well, it's nice to have you here. Now, I need to tell you that it looks like today we're only going to be live on the internet for a little while, um, so we're going to end up recording a lot of this, and people are going to need to join the teleconference. Okay. Because That's we're fine. having, yeah, it's it's like counting down. So. The live show is going to be fairly brief from the looks of it if I trust what's on the screen. (laughs) So I'm just telling you that. Welcome. But what that means is we can still talk. We can still have our conversation. But I want people to know if you want to hear this conversation live, you need to call 310-807-5104 and join the teleconference. And we'll make sure that we promote this conversation um, as a podcast after as well so that everyone can enjoy what, what we have to talk about today um, because I've really been looking forward to having you on the show, Megan. And I, I will introduce you now because um, I, I wasn't sure if we were going to connect today or not. Um, and Megan, for the audience, is the author of a Deeper Perspective on Alzheimer's and Other Dementias, Practical Tools with Spiritual Insights. And she has a wonderful approach to this. This book has a lot to it. And I know that many, many of us, if we're not experiencing it now with a family member, um, we may know of people. We This is something that touches everyone. And Megan brings to this topic a wealth of experience. She is not only the Executive Director of a Secure Memory Care Assisted Living Residence, she's also a registered nurse, a licensed nursing home administrator, a massage therapist, and she managed a center all the way back in 1989 and has been consulting since 1996. Um, award-winning facility uh, an award-winning facility resulted from that consultation and she still assess assists owners and she speaks often and thank you so much for being here today Megan thank you yeah it's been a it's been a long period of time working
0: with your elders so I'm I feel really honored
1: well, and I'm delighted to have you here. I wish we could have you here live online a little bit longer, but we'll see what what the podcast ends up doing it won't It won't shut us down. It's just I want the audience to know that if the internet portion of this broadcast um goes down, I want you to call the teleconference line so you can listen on there and Once again, I just want to remind the audience three one zero eight zero seven five one So, Megan, um, I feel that there is just so much we can explore today, and I really want to promote this show in the archives because I know that it's going to help a lot of people um, across time, truthfully. And what I hope we can do today, I know there are people listening who, they just, they need answers. You know, maybe it can be someone who's home, who who has been is is noticing memory issues already, a person who's experiencing this, or it could be family members at various stages of of dealing with this. And and I will tell you that my own experience is knowing of situations where it it becomes almost it becomes very, very challenging for Mm -hmm. for family members and for experiencers alike. And so how can you help us, Megan, to understand this in a a meaningful, helpful, the best way, short of a cure? What can we do?
0: Right. Um, so I think one of the things to, to realize is that over the past 20 years, let's just say 20 years, um, there's been so many improvements in terms of people's awareness Um, physicians being able to recognize what it is when things start happening and people getting better um, support and education and assessments and getting them earlier in the progression rather than really late. I would have people um, come to my unit in 1989 and they hadn't even seen the physician and they would say oh well they they have dementia we know they have dementia I would say well how do you know and well because Uh they're acting this way and there are some things that are reversible so if people would you know really get the right assessment there were some things that we could do in some cases to help the person get their cognition back in place and you know things like vitamin B12 deficiencies thyroid deficiencies uh-huh. metabolic disorders and so i think there's just a lot more education and People are more um, aware of it, and and so hopefully the stigma of it is is softening. It's still really scary for people, and I think um, it's it's almost like the modern plague, that people feel they know people that have it or they know friends that have people that have it, and is it going to happen to me? And like older people, in, in normal aging, if you think about all the things that you do that tend to be more, routine or habitual like how i move around in my space what kinds of things i do to get ready in the morning and that we all have moments where we're not really consciously doing something our mind is somewhere else and we're you know finishing making the coffee or we're doing another thing and that people start getting hard on themselves because they're older worrying am i forgetting something because i'm going to get alzheimer's versus I've been doing this for 60 years. Why would I be paying attention in this moment when I'm doing it? And so I have to figure out a way to be mindful about things and pay attention still, um, but not be so hard on myself and be afraid that something's going to happen. And so if we can help people get um, the right diagnosis, the other thing that goes on is there's so many more options. So, There's daycare programs, adult daycare programs, so families have been able to have someone at home and then also have times where they can go do something that's really social and have different experiences than being in the house, and it gives respite for the person who's caring for that person. They tend to be really affordable, adult daycare, so it's an option.
1: If a yeah. family
0: wanted to have like two afternoons a week or four days a week all day or, you know, a Saturday, that, that those places will help create that change of scene and something else going on. Um, a lot of home care companies are realizing that this is an area that really needs a lot of focus and how to help people and train staff. And and there's an envelope there, you know, like all the training that goes on for staff, It's it's takes a special kind of person to want to work with people with memory loss and work with elders and how do you help them feel really secure in what they know and safe in dealing with it and um but it's a really wonderful area if people um can find the right match for that that home situation. I always say the elder may not have insight about needing any help. And so if you need to have that person come to help you (laughs) for a while (laughs) and get to know them and, you know, with the adult daycare programs to say, no, 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 they need volunteers. We need you to come and volunteer. They need help. It's not about you. We need you to help them. It tends to change the way the person sees it, and and they'll they'll do it. And so that's also good. And then in long-term care, Uh, Long term care insurance, I think more people are aware of that. Yes. That's an option. And then, um, you know, trying to hit that window where when is it really the point where we need that kind of support and help? And how do we get that? There's more geriatricians. I think there are people planning more for end of life and making, um, you know, the conversation project and some of these organizations that are having people talk about things and say, what do you really want to do as you grow older? Or if something like this happens to you, what would you want us to do? And the families that I've seen that have been able to have those conversations, it's such a huge gift at the end of life yeah. for that family that they know what the person wanted and were able to have those difficult conversations. So so I think those that arena is, is more positive and hopeful. And then I think... Um, this idea, you know, when I first started working with Alzheimer's, people would say the victim with Alzheimer's, and I thought it was dreadful, and then it started shifting to the person with Alzheimer's, and one of the things that I really believe very, very strongly is we all have a whole spirit, and we're having a handicapping illness, but it does not define us, and the, the brain is part of our physical matter of the body. It is not our spirit. It is not all of us, and it is something we also shed when we leave this life. I feel like sometimes because the seat of function, personality, a sense of self, rises from that relationship with our brain and our cognition, that we yeah. then feel really uh, ensnared, like in a way. Like yeah. if, if this is damaged, then somehow I'm not myself anymore. And my yeah. experience with pe- with people with Alzheimer's is there's, elements of themselves that remain throughout the disease, that there's lucid moments, that you really have a clear perception of that, and that it's the way that we communicate that's impaired, and that we get hooked on that and we kind of get lost about where is the person. And I'll give you some two examples that are just sort of simple ones. But Mm
1: -hmm. before
0: there was sign language, and we used the words deaf and dumb, The person was actually not less intelligent, they didn't have a vehicle to communicate. And I see the same thing happening with Alzheimer's, that we are looking at someone who can't reach through the bridges that have been broken in their communication and we're making a judgment about who they are and how they're functioning. That I think when you spend a lot of time with people who are in that state, you start recognizing that that's not entirely true
1: you know in a way megan um that can feel somewhat challenging for family members too in the sense that it's almost um you know you it's hard to think about someone we love kind of trapped behind a screen you know and and how can we get beyond i mean we want to help them to to get past and and we you know how how as loved you know as family members I mean, I, I I think it's it's so reassuring to know that I have never really heard that before um, listening to you, Megan. And and yet on the other hand, you get this feeling: is gosh, what are they feeling? You know, what are right. they feeling behind behind that um, screen or whatever? You know, the the veil that that keeps them from being fully fully able to communicate. And how how do we help one another? To, to reach out and love to one another. Right. So so the, the
0: grief is really a true and in-the-room thing that needs to be
1: uh-huh.
0: allowed and expressed. And there's all different shades of that grief as someone's going through this process. So for the person themselves, in earlier stages, there tends to be a lot of grief or frustration or expression of, wow, something's really, really different and I can't stand it. And it's Mm -hmm. so poignant. It's really hard during those phases when a person is comparing themselves to who they were. And then it's also really hard for the family to be the champion and advocate and also be feeling those losses as they happen. And so I I don't want to give an impression of sort of the person's exactly the same, but they can't communicate. I think what I need to add to what we just said was if you think about your life and you think about how you developed going forward in life. And you look back on that and reflect on that. And you think about yourself as a child, a small child,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how you perceived the world and what you felt. And there was kind of an unconsciousness. You just were allowed to be. And your parents yeah. were trying to fill you with good things and try to help you learn and, and hopefully want you to become a great citizen. You know, So what are all the things that they're trying to do for you But you, looking back, may feel like, oh, my goodness, that feels almost like a different person. You know, it's still you. It was part of you Mm -hmm. in your development. But you don't have the same sort of awareness or reflecting, like, wow, what was that? And you think about your adolescence. You think about your young adulthood. And, again, even looking at pictures, sometimes we're like, wow, is that really me? Is that really me at that time? But all of that has been absorbed into who you are today, all of those things. And there's some things that you remember very clearly, and there are other things that are sort of uh, part of the sea of your life experience that maybe certain things trigger that you remember, and otherwise you don't. It's just part of you. And so instead of thinking about your life as kind of a pinnacle when you get up to adulthood, and then, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness, the person got Alzheimer's and now they're sort of crashing. Like it's all for naught because we got up to this point and then we became confused. I try to think of it more of as flat line and that yeah. if moving towards the end of my life and I end up with something like Alzheimer's that's that's shifting how I am and what I'm doing. The other thing I always try to consider is every experience is useful to the soul And that sometimes on the outside, we tend to judge with different eyes what that meaning is. And when someone's in an experience, they're the only ones who know what the value of that is. And sometimes it's only in hindsight when you get a chance to look at something and you go, wow, that was a really important juncture, or I really learned Mm -hmm. something from that never knew I would. Because when I was in it, I felt like it was such a difficult traverse. I didn't know what to take that could possibly be positive in it and then sometimes later someone's saying, wow, that really made my life more meaningful in a different way and so I want to say Alzheimer's is included in all life experience like any other thing that we're experiencing and that if someone's in that process and it forces them to kind of let go of things we don't want to, none of us want this But mm-hmm. when I'm watching what's happening mm-hmm. with people it's like they're handing off things that they added to themselves and life is shifting in terms of how they experience things so losing cognition people become more connected to their emotions and they express their emotions more and they're disinhibited by losing some of the cognition so sometimes they're things that they didn't deal with their whole life that i see them really working on and working to resolve and heal and let out and because of the disinhibition, it gives them an opportunity to really do that. And later, yeah. it moves into a more physical kind of thing where how do I function? How do I dress? How do I bathe? And there's kind of a childlike element in that where people are very present. They live very mm-hmm. much in the now, and they're responding to things. And you think of folks going off in caves and meditating about how can I become present? Yeah. And this disease is causing people to shift into that state of being, of being really present, and then as they shift into even a later stage, it's the loss of infant learning, and this thing of sleeping, waking, eating, you know, how do I control my body, and at that point, I feel like people are already starting to make their transition onto what's next, and how are we all caring for their body, and and caring for honoring this person who has lived this whole life Mm -hmm. and that we as the history keepers are aware of all the things this person did and they're 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 going to leave us and so in what way can we work with that stage of the illness to really bring the best to them just like you would at the beginning of life trying to with excitement you've come to join us now you're going to live your life let's have you experience good things and feel good things and eat good things how can we do that for someone who's now really ready to go? Also our expectations of what the person is doing for us and what we need from them and shifting to what is it I can do really to facilitate where they are. And, and I think your your question about how can that be for families, that's that takes a lot of work to get to that yeah. place where you can work yeah. with that. And I, I totally know that and I don't want anyone feeling like I'm trying to tell them how to think or feel. Because it's so individual and it's so deep. All this stuff is so deep. But there are moments where you feel connected and you feel um you you can see the person that you've known and loved and there they there they are just for a moment and it's just it's very sweet and it gives you the fuel. You know, why are we doing all this caregiving? Because we love these people. Yeah. So you know, what are the moments that really lift us and make us feel Oh this is so important and and I feel like there's a whole deeper work that we can do with ourselves about unconditional loving and and sort of dropping expectations and assumptions and being more present ourselves and not judging and being critical.
1: You know, I love the the analogy of thinking of this, you know, when we care for a young child, we don't expect we don't view that child as trapped really, I mean, or anything like that. I mean, yes, so just like you said, I mean, they're just, they're in the state they're in. And we just love them. We love them for what they are. I mean, and, and when they experience joy or, you know, or discoveries, which I think, you know, it's I it's still possible in different ways, Um, we just support and love that. And, you know, Megan, the more... I hear what you're saying, and this is just so powerful, because this really has to do with acceptance. Mm. Um, and, And I think that what, and I'm not saying it's easy, acceptance is not easy, but it seems to be it's that resistance that, you know, we all can have, whether you're experiencing this, and of course it's natural to have some resistance, or as a family member, we just, you know, if we could only accept things as they are and then, be thankful for the the things that we can appreciate within that space. Uh, it would be that would create a really wonderful environment. I mean, it wouldn't be perfect. It wouldn't be everything we ever wanted, but it's a matter of accepting what right. is. Now, I I am going to tell you, Megan, that the show is is doing some some unusual things today when it comes to <laughs> acceptance. <laughs> we need to be a little accepting I'm not quite sure what it's going to do at the half hour point if I lose you then I would bring you back because I want—I won't be able to bring you back today but I know I just want to make sure just in case we lose the feed we and I don't know what it's going to do I want, want to make sure people know your website is MeganCarnarius.com and also this is going to be part one if that's what happens because I'll I'll be sure we've got so much to talk about. But hopefully we'll be able talking. and then to keep should talking. I
0: should I call you back on this number it won't or the same one?
1: It's just okay. we're just under I think I have a pretty good idea of what happened today. And unfortunately I I think it was operator error on my part. I will take full responsibility. Um in terms of the how long the show is today. Um but We'll just see what happens. If if it continues, it'll continue. If it ends, we can't do any more today. That's just the way Blog Talk Radio is. So we'll just have to accept that if it ends. Um, And if it continues, we'll just keep talking. So um, that, and it'll cut off pretty fast. So if it does, it does. So we'll just kind of accept that. And I will certainly be in touch with you if that does happen. And let make sure the audience knows how we can continue this conversation if we need to, so just saying it.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> but it makes me continue. nervous. It's like, woo,
1: the hour is ticking. Well, and... I can't. It's it's. This has never happened.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah, and it's been a week for that. Let me tell you. <laughs> wow, I I amazing. can't quite explain why that is, but you know what? Hey, it's always spirit, isn't it? because Great. this has been a week for that. There's been one thing after another this week, and it's just we work around it. We do our best. So um, in any case, let's just keep talking. If it cuts us off, we'll be cut off. We will simply not be connected anymore. And if we're still talking, we're still talking, and we'll we'll keep going. Okay. Um, so, and, and I will, again, to the audience, if you're listening to this in the future, look for Part 2, because if we do get cut off... I will very much pursue Megan, and <laughs> hopefully she'll be gracious and come back so we yes, can keep ha- talking happily. because <laughs> oh. this is a very important topic. And if we keep going, well, we'll just keep going, and that will be great. So um, now, now, Megan, um, I hope that we can explore here some of the different stages because I know you go in there, and also the fact that there are just so many forms of de- dementia. You know, this isn't just one variety here. This is a there there are many, many different kinds of of dementia. And I think we tend to think, well, you know, we 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 know what happened to so and so or so and so in our lives and and we don't always see that there are just so many different ways this can unfold. But can you help us to understand the basic stages, and it looks like we're still here, so that's good because my clock says it's one thirty. so yeah, we'll hope good. for the best, and you're still okay. here. <laughs> so, so so
0: this came up, actually I gave a lecture last night, and someone said, is it true that for all the different types of dementia that there are stages for all of them, which I thought was a great yeah. question, and they think there's around 48 more more diagnosable dementias. They're under the Uh umbrella of dementia. Alzheimer's makes up at this point about 60% of the diagnoses, so it's a very large group. And then you have um, cardiovascular dementia that comes in after that as a large group. Sometimes they're mixed diagnosis where people have a little bit of cardiovascular dementia, a little bit of Alzheimer's. And then there are other ones like Lewy body disease, frontal temporal lobe um, disease, and... um, MS and Parkinson's can have an aspect of them that causes also a dementia and alcoholism. There are other other, uh, dementias that are under them, but they're in smaller groups than Alzheimer's disease. And all of them are considered progressive chronic brain diseases. So they do all have stages, but some of them, their course is shorter or longer. So Alzheimer's disease can last two to 25 years the more average length we think of is 8 to 12 years. Uh-huh. And a Lewy body disease or a frontal temporal lobe might be 6 to 8 years or there may be a different time frame. But we do see people in the beginning of their dementia having more of their brain functioning and not impacted by the disease yet. So so anyone at the beginning of a diagnosis is going to still have many areas of their life that are still working for them, and an awareness that something isn't right, and so what I equate um, with Alzheimer's and cardiovascular disease as these two larger groups is that early stage is the loss of adult learning, and so all Mm -hmm. the things that you developed last in your life are the first things you tend to lose when you have a memory loss disease like this, and So if you think about driving, managing your finances, multitasking, Mm -hmm. um, having hobbies that you're capable of pursuing. And in early stage, short-term memory is affected. There's a part of the brain called the hippocampus that basically atrophies. It, It disappears. It gets destroyed in the disease. And when you're experiencing something, and this is something you'll hear family say, They can remember everything from so long ago, but they can't remember that we just had breakfast. And it's because they're active in the moment. They're participating in what's going on very appropriately. But the part of the brain that would then turn that moment into long-term storage is impaired. It's gone. Hmm. And so they can't turn it into a memory. They can experience it, but they can't hold on to it whereas their long-term memory hasn't been impacted yet by the spread of the disease in their brain, so they can access all those files. And so one of the therapies that we do in earlier stages is to help people be able to reminisce and deploy those files, in a sense, and then they feel comforted because they do remember a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It's just their short-term memory is challenging them. And so another thing that happens is about 50% of people in early stage don't have insight That they have this problem. And so then you have everyone observing them saying, I know that you just asked me this, or I know that we just did this action, and now you're doing it all over again. What is wrong? And the person, again, they they have no idea. They have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. So that makes it hard in the beginning. And I think when you think about a person's ego and sense of self and competency, that then if you're coming at them as a concerned person, you really want to treat peer-to-peer, adult-to-adult. You don't want to turn into a a sort of parental arguing rationally because it's really emotional for people to feel something's wrong and really acknowledging it. So really out of a, a deep respect and concern, try to figure out a way to address it or look at it. And sometimes families will say, I have a problem with my memory. I need to go to the doctor and I'm afraid. Can you come with me? Yeah. And the person's happy to support them going. And then they're in the doctor's office and they say, you know what, I I think we both should get tested. And it's much easier than having had the conversation at home saying, mm-hmm. you need to go to the doctor, you need to get tested. So sometimes there's a way of being camaraderie that makes things happen mm-hmm. in a positive way. So the early stages tend to be the loss of adult learning And they can last, on average, like two to four years. People can pretty much live independently safely. Um, Some families will report to me that the person started having memory challenges eight years before, but they were still really okay in their home, and they were safe, and it was okay. They didn't have to bring help in. But once they really started having trouble with safety, um, some executive decision-making, like getting up in the middle of the night, and feeling like you can walk to Wyoming from Colorado, or um, yeah. I had a woman put all of her laundry in the oven.
1: She <gasps> thought it was oh, the dryer. Dear. You know, Ooh. so I mean,
0: just every now and then there can be something that's very aberrant that causes great alarm and, and that's things kind of yes. And then there are other situations where you know families just are very aware that there's some sort of degradation going on in the situation. So. The elder's not eating, they're not drinking enough, they're not taking their uh-huh. medications, they're feeling scared because they don't know what's going on. Um, the next stage is the loss of adolescent
1: learning that I talk about in the book. And can, can I ask you a question real quick mm-hmm. about yeah. the first stage? Um, yeah. Because I'm aware of various situations, in fact, I've known of multiple situation where this is kind of a hard question um and I know people face it and I I personally know people who have faced it and I and I I want to ask this question is that it seems that at that first stage is that sometimes and I know there's not going to be a one size fits all answer to this question but um there are medications out there that people can go on now um I'm aware of a situation where it was not, it actually resulted in not such a good outcome. You know that 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 actually seemed to make things worse. And so, in in a couple of cases where people just said, you know, no, we're not going to do that particular thing because it doesn't seem to be helping now. And I'm when I say this, I'm not saying that it doesn't help in other situations because I'm not a doctor and I'm not here giving recommendations. But the question is how do we work with the providers in really observing if medication is given at a certain point fairly early and it seems to be having more of an adverse and disruptive effect if it is, you know, how do you work with with that? I mean or, or do you just you this know, just plan. say, Well we're just gonna gonna go without or you know, I mean it's it's a challenge for for yeah. a family.
0: Yeah. Very so challenging. So this is a great question. So so there's a whole lot of different answers, and I'll try to I'll try to be as succinct as possible. If a family mm-hmm. member is someone that was, say, a Christian Scientist, never wanted to use medication, then probably the suggestion would be let's just honor where this person was yeah. and not use these things. You go the yeah. total extreme opposite, and you have um, Alzheimer's research, different things going on. Uh, before we didn't have any of these medications available. I was working with people, and then seeing what was going on when these meds first got out, and then and then better generations of those meds. And the Alzheimer's Association's official stance is still, if it's possible for someone to take some of these meds for cognition, and mm-hmm. I and I know geriatricians and clinicians who will say the same thing. If you can start earlier. In some cases, it will extend the period of time that people can be more independent because what mm-hmm. the drugs are doing are trying to help neural chemicals get to the right neural synapses that are still healthy. And so it's like a bridge the or a uh-huh. supporter conveyor, so it helps find healthy neurosynapse sites. So any area of living, like if you think of getting up out of a chair and keeping your balance and walking across the room with intention, or talking and finishing your conversation or going in the kitchen and doing a task and making your own meal, you need neural synapse activity all the mm-hmm. time for all of those things. And so the idea is that when the drug is being used earlier and you don't have as a pervasive effect on the brain yet, and another thing I should add is there are in some cases 20 years of changes in the brain before you have outward signs outward symptoms of the disease so there's been a lot of damage but there's also been a lot of compensatory ability the person has has employed to try to manage yeah. so so if the drug could be effective the things that are bad symptoms or side effects from it is sometimes people get gi you know diarrhea stomach aches like upset gi problems or they get headaches dizziness And that means they're probably not tolerating it. And sometimes those symptoms will disappear in a week or something, and in other cases they persist, and then the physician's like, no, 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 let's not do that. But in the cases where they get on these medications, then again the stance is you want people to stay on these drugs until Uh they really are at a skilled level of care, which means physically needing assistance with all tasks of daily living, that someone is really helping them function by helping them dress, helping them bathe, do all that. And and then you have the middle, middle of the spectrum, which is like, let's just see how long it really supports their thinking, their mm-hmm. ability to interact with family their And you'll have um, physicians who will take them off of it when they feel like the cognitive effect is really getting blurry. They can't really tell if it's helping anymore. And it, These drugs don't stop the progression of the disease. The disease keeps Mm -hmm. moving in the brain and keeps damaging it, but it's just, again, trying to catch something that still is workable. And we've had some people that when they were taken off, there was no ill effect, there was no difference, but we've also had people that when they were taken off, it felt like they were catching up to where they would have been, that it Mm -hmm. was like you really saw losses happening over the next two to three weeks that were very different. And so an example would be someone would go in the bathroom and not know why we were there. We would would sit down at a meal and not know how to pick up their fork and why they were supposed to eat. Whereas the three weeks before when they were on the medication, even though they were having trouble finding words and didn't know family names and needed to be guided and didn't know what day it was, they totally knew what to do when we went in the bathroom and they totally knew how to feed themselves. So it was a different level of functional support that the cognitive med was giving them, and and there are also there are also some controversies around how much these how much money these drugs cost, and mm-hmm. because you because you aren't really you don't really know where you would have been then for some you know some people that feels too wishy washy in terms of the approach, and then there's also some large uh like HMOs and things like that that feel really impacted by the finances of it and if they can't get more of a sense of how is it really helping every day every single day this person takes it that I can track that I can expect that I can know then to me you know in those instances I can hear these physicians say this and I don't feel comfortable ordering it anymore so yeah. it's a big it's a big area <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess I guess the the thing that that um, and I was not I wasn't really able to be directly involved with any of this. But what I what what I have heard, and again I don't know what people's experiences are. Was more that cognitively it had an impact right at right at first that was adverse, and I don't know if that's a rare. Thing That's I mean any rare. any drug can do anything. <laughs> There's just so many things. Or it had a weird effect in t- you know that that was unexpected. And so and also on two related people apparently you know a, a similar effect for two people who were related. And so and so that. I I mean, I guess the main question is is you have to partner. I mean, I could probably even almost answer it. You've got to partner with, with, um, you know, who's ever helping you and hope that everybody's observing what's going on.
0: Yeah, and what you're talking about is a paradoxical effect where it it has the opposite or accentuation. Exactly, Exactly,
1: which may be rare. I don't know.
0: But that it was is, it is a little bit more rare. It does yeah. happen and it is something to watch for. And one of the things that can happen is someone was beginning to drift a little where they were less um upset about what was happening. And sometimes uh-huh. you can height people's like it's like they're more aware because they're taking it and it ends up agitating ah, them, frustrating that them. Yeah, so that's frustrating them. Ah, not interesting?
1: Yeah, that's
0: interesting. Yeah, we wouldn't try to work with that med anymore. We just let that go. That's just, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah. you know, I guess the real thing that comes out of all of them, and this is true, and I mean, there's so many meds out there nowadays. I mean, for everything, they can have all kinds of effects And and, you know, it seems like partnering with someone you trust
0: is is and, so and important. Right, and there also are genetic testing companies now that can do a basic panel of how you metabolize certain kinds of things mm-hmm. based on a genetic, really simple blood test. And so there are some physicians who are now doing those screenings before they try to order any of these kinds of, you know, like, say, mood stabilizers or... Um, someone has severe anxiety and you want to try to figure out what what would be the thing that would help them the most. And instead of just experimenting, you know, looking at, well, what's the genetics here and how do they metabolize mm-hmm. medications? And so the, the people that were related may have had an issue where they didn't metabolize that well or, you know, something else was, was wrong in that situation that maybe could have been seen before the med was ordered.
1: I have one yeah. other important question about the early stages um that I feel okay. is a vital thing and um you know there there are cases there's there's a particular case that I won't even specifically name but it was in the news where someone um was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and had so much despair that they ended their life and so I I'd like Megan for us to look at this question of if you're the family member of someone who's diagnosed and and you see you know deep despair um you know how how we can support people in that situation um because I imagine it does happen and and so I'm actually it did in this particular case, and so it made me think about this in that. You know how how do you provide? I mean, I guess it's just like anyone. I mean, but is this is this fairly common? Make it can this happen where there's just such a deep awareness and despair? And what can what can family members do to to really help oh, in that situation? Really
0: big. Yeah. So yeah. early on, when they were trying to do research at universities about um, is there a test where we can see if people have a predisposition to get Alzheimer's, and they were looking at genetics they okay. had a couple situations where someone was told, we think you, you know, at this younger age, we think you you have a 50%. So they weren't even saying 51%.
1: They were oh, saying boy.
0: it was a 50% chance of getting Alzheimer's, and the woman went home and, and ended her life, and they exact, realized uh-huh. we need to be really careful about this uh-huh. as we we don't want to be telling people something like this unless we know that they're... You know they're able to work with that in, and in, in a way like if I know that this is a possibility, I should plan and figure out things. But that would yeah. mean all of us should do that in any case. Um, yeah. So And then another thing is sometimes people get really, really depressed and they need psychological support. They need counseling. Yeah. They need people who understand how to help relieve some of that internal pressure that's going on and the fear of the unknown of like what is coming? What is this going to look like for me? versus how am I handling my day-to-day and how do we support whatever's happening day-to-day and not be projecting so much down the road? Um, Because all of us don't know. Again, like trying to help normalize that a little bit. Um, But there may be a need for for an antidepressant or for, uh, you know, someone willing... to kind of help, yeah. Yeah, work with someone who can't necessarily remember what you did the session before and there was a New York Times article about a woman who had been a, an academic, and she talked to her family when she got the diagnosis, and she said, when I start acting this way, and she described it what to her would be a real loss of self and not mm-hmm. okay, that
1: mm-hmm. she doesn't want
0: to live her life unless it's at this quality. And she said, I want to let go, and I want to organize how I'm going to do that. And it was a very well-done article. And she yeah. didn't end up ending her life, and she ended her life with the support of her family. And then there was uh-huh. an article a couple months later from a resident in my building, actually the son wrote it for the New York Times, and it was exactly that later stage that he was talking about how much meaning and value he felt in his relationship to his mom at this point, because there were things that had been harder for her and all the kids in connecting with her when she was her sort of high-functioning personhood. Yeah. And now this glee and sort of delight and and in her senses and and way of connecting to her that is so different but so meaningful for him. And so we all are, we have different tolerances of what is okay or what's not or how we can yeah. adjust or not adjust. and And I think... You know, it's the whole ethical question when you get into, you know, people saying, well, this group of people have no value, they shouldn't be here, uh-huh. versus, oh, my goodness, no, these people are still contributing, but contributing in a very different way. And so I think it comes up around Alzheimer's and that people really, its this again, this thing of if I lose control and I'm not in charge of myself and I'm vulnerable in a certain way, then I don't think I should be here. And yet we see elders traversing that and giving other people opportunities to be caring and loving and have intimate situations which build character in the caregiver. And in some ways I feel like some of these elders are making a contribution. They're being very productive in a really different way right before they're leaving. And, like, I've worked with so many teachers – and I feel like they're PhDs in teaching, and it's the mastership of self and the mastership of character, and that that's what they're teaching everyone who comes in contact wow. with them as they're yeah. shifting it up. And what a contribution.
1: You know, it's such a positive way of looking at it. You know, I will say, and I'm sure you've encountered this, is I think what tends to happen is Everybody knows some especially if it's something hereditary. It's like the classic, I don't want to end up like, and then list, you know, an aunt or grandmother or whatever who maybe had, and, and that could be really terrifying, especially if the person was in a caregiving role or, or, you know, whatever. And perhaps in those days, you know, things weren't, I think nowadays there's a lot more support. And and what I appreciate about your work, Megan, is that you bring out the positive, that you bring out the, you know, don't prejudge it. And it surely seems like, especially don't judge it based on whatever you observed, you know, however many years ago. Um, because that seems to be a factor, too, in these situations, is, is observation of the past or memories of what maybe happened in some past situation that was unpleasant
0: right and and the the stakes are really high when you think of an elder and that life they've led and wanting to have a really good quality of life for all elders and no matter what their health situation is uh, physically or cognitively and so there's a there's an intensity that happens and it also is that we're projecting ourselves like we're we get triggered looking at some of these things because we want to make sure it's okay also for us as we get older. And then when we look at people who have had really like the greatest generation, I mean, I'm going to miss all of these people. When I, I I talk about it in the book, but I worked with a woman who was 105 in 1987 and she had experienced the change of the century, the first world war, the depression, the second world war, the Vietnam war you know, all the things that had gone on with technology, airplanes, you know. <laughs> and she had ridden the wagons west. She had come on a wow. wagon.
1: And wow. every now and then
0: she would hallucinate and go into this whole thing about the horses had broken loose and she was, she was on this oh wagon, jerk wow. around in her chair and we would all experience <laughs> it. And then she would kind of come out of it. And she was an amazing timekeeper. But this this yeah. fortitude and, and sort of, like there are things that change through the years that should you know that should change, yeah. like women's rights yeah. and and yeah. minority treatment and all of these things that should keep progressing as a culture. but it's really sweet and special the the folks that I've worked with that you know built the country did did amazing things and and you just you want these years to be good too, even if someone's confused and it's like, well, how can we help do that? in a way that makes sense to them, too. And, and, you know, like even in the Alzheimer's world, the fact that we used to restrain people, which is just terrible. Um. And then, you know, medications were overused and elders who needed to wander weren't allowed to wander. And then you look at settings now where people can go outside and they can sit in the sun and they can walk. Mm -hmm. And people know, I need to channel this energy. I shouldn't stop it. This is a wonderful expression, We need to let it flow. So let me try to figure out how to help this person go do more of this because there's also a window where they'll go through it and then they won't be able to do that thing anymore. So the person who is pacing, 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 at some point is going to start losing their balance and not be able to walk. So let's make sure they can walk as much as possible for as long as possible. And so there's all kinds of things that we can rally around and make better but it's
1: just it's it is really intense as people look at that. You know what I appreciate about this, Megan, is a lot of this has to do with choice. Because, you know, when People who, who, you know, everybody has a choice, a lot of choices about what their future health care will be. And you you talked about a case there where someone said, you know, if I get to this point, whatever. But, you know, you can't, and I will not. Actually, I want to be very careful there. I'm not going to belittle that choice. I actually very much believe in a person's right to have that choice. Mm -hmm. And I'm in Oregon where people have that right. And I believe it's very important to have a right over, you know, to control your your quality of life. But I also believe we need to have all the information available to us, um, which is what you're providing in that, you know, we may only have partial information. This could probably run on all kinds of different types of, of um, you know, diseases. I know you have a chapter where yeah. you use that, disease, you know, it, it, where you can't make... Um, any choice you know whatever that choice may be about medication or about all kinds of choices without having full information as to there is quality of life in the right setting, there is quality there there are benefits um I'm thinking of the person you just told me about, and what a teacher! I mean, the the amazing moments that someone might remember and teach. You know, like you talk about the timekeepers in your book, and and you know what? It, there is a very enlightened, positive way of approaching this, not to belittle the challenging parts. Now, I Absolutely. want to say something. We're reaching the half hour again. You know, in a way, this is so much like life, Megan, because we don't know what's going to happen at every half hour.
0: Right. Because
1: <laughs> I've never been in this particular situation. <laughs> and so far, it's going great. This yeah, is all recording. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to probably <laughs> have to go. Yeah, and that is the end of our scheduled interview coming up. Yeah. So, um um, and we weren't able to get into all the stages, but I know that there are. But we did glimpse them, and I know there are people, um, you know, that are really benefiting from this, and and including this host. And so I want to say thank you, Megan, for yeah. for being here. And I would I love really to continue
0: it. another time. So if you want I to do too. a continuation, we can.
1: In fact, why don't we do that why don't we say, especially since I know that not all of this went out live, and I would like the opportunity to take calls, for example, if people have questions if we so why don't we say this is part one okay <laughs> and and oh, that's I know great. the wonderful people you work with at Finhorn press and um and you know we'll we'll schedule part two because there's such a wealth. Of infrared. Who knows? Maybe future parts because um, this is an important topic, so much so. Yes. So be- before we we definitely leave this broadcast, please do remind everyone where they can find out more about your work. I'll give you that opportunity and where you're speaking or anything you'd like to let people know at this point. Right. Um a
0: deeper perspective on Alzheimer's and other dementias, practical tips with spiritual insights which was published by Fintorn press is available on amazon barnes and noble and then i have a website Um, if you'd like to contact me or just look at the website there's information
1: about the book there as well so thank you so much and thank you <laughs> And I look forward to the next the next conversation. So. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you
0: very much. Really, oh. really delightful talking with you.
1: Oh, thank you, Megan, and for okay. all that you do. Thank you. Thank Take you. Take care okay. until next time.
0: <laughs> okay. Bye bye.
1: All right. Bye bye. And for those of you um, listening, FrontierBeyondFear.com dot com is the place to go to find this interview. In fact, I am so diligently wanting to create more pages where a particular person's interview, all of them are grouped together. And in this case, you know, I'm really going to do that for sure. So you're going to find part one, part two, however many talks Megan and I end up having. um, Because I feel this impacts many of us. I personally am interested in this topic um and i know that it, it touches so many people's lives and um there's just so much more she has to share with us so please do look out on frontierbeyondfear.com, and you know there will come a time where you can google her name or click on it i hope that you're in the future seeing that time when i've so diligently improved my website which is my goal um it's a step at a time and you know, when it comes to timekeeping, I wish I could expand time more so that I could find the time to to make all of the improvements I'd like. But um in any case, yes, I I do look forward to talking to this wonderful guest again. And those of you listening um fairly close to live, um the next show is Monday. Let's see. Losing track of the dates here. Ah, Today is the 25th. So, Monday, the 28th of September, 2015, is the next show at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. I have a new guest coming on, another new guest. We're just getting a whole bunch of them, and and many of them are wanting to return, and so that's wonderful, too. Um, Lee Miltier, who has a new book out called Reclaim the Magic. So, that'll be a, a really interesting show and we've got another pretty full week of shows, and we'll see how we go navigating forward. Like many hosts, I'm still experimenting, too, in the sense of seeing how it works with having this show more frequent. And, you know, feel free if you want to let me know um, how you are appreciating that. If you ever want to um, email the show, info at com, which I rarely give out and really must, is the way to contact this show. And I would very much welcome your feedback on, you know, how you feel about the more frequent shows or any input you have, a guest that you'd like to recommend, anything that you'd like to tell me about the show um, in any way. I would really appreciate hearing your feedback at info at com, And on com is also a way to support this show should you feel so guided um, just to support the the monthly expenses of the show um, which I do volunteer Um, so this show is listener supported and I very much appreciate that and your energetic support is always welcome too so thank you everyone for being here today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another full week of shows and there may even be a weekend show we'll see Um, We might do a little test show this weekend, which usually means there will be something to talk about. So keep an eye on things. You never know when one's going to pop up. So take care, everyone.